0: On the job
1: with Francis Leach and Sally Rugg. It's on the job, the podcast all about making your working life better. My name is Francis Leach.
0: My name is Sally Rugg, and not everything I say on this podcast necessarily reflects. Re- 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 reflects the beliefs and values of my workplace
1: not everything I say will sound like a 12inch remix from the 1980s like Sally did just then hey <laughs> you going Sally
0: yeah I'm really good um, yeah it's been a wild time in Parliament in politics which is sort of like my happy place I suppose really yeah I, like I'm
1: are you a QT watcher are you one of those people yeah. on Twitter that hashtag QT like, that gets in the conversation about question time?
0: Every time people talk about, like, the – what is it? What are the film awards? The Golden Globes?
1: The Golden Globes? There's the Oscars? The Oscars,
0: sure. The every Logies time, here in Australia? Yeah, yeah, that's what I said. But every time people talk about that, I'm always like, well, sure, but has anybody actually watched Senate Estimates? It's so good. So
1: and let's just you know sidebar this and have a chat. Penny Wong, leading Senate Estimates performer of 2020 and the last few years, she is the queen of grilling bureaucrats and uh, and government uh, uh, senators. Is she the one. Is she number one on the charts. Is she like the sort of like the uh, Naomi Osaka of uh, of the Senate Estimates world?
0: Are you saying we should have a red carpet awards ceremony Uh. for Senate estimates? Because I think that would be a really good idea.
1: (laughs) Can we we get that on (laughs) pay-per-view? Imagine all the nerds that have watched that. Wouldn't that be a party you don't want to go to?
0: Hey, why don't we run this by this creative idea by our first guest? Because she knows a little bit about creating art, creating community around art, creating performance and also sort of like telling me in like really cuttingly, brutally honest ways whether my ideas are good or not. So, yeah, I think we should bring her on.
1: Let's do it. Let's catch up with Maeve Marsden. On the job, Francis and Sally with you. Maeve Marsden is part of a community of people who over the last – Eighteen months or maybe a little less. What well, who time has stood still have seen their entire industry just go bang, finished. Mm. And we're talking about the entertainment, uh, the cultural uh, sphere, the the performance arts, one of the huge victims of the COVID shutdown. And it's slowly, slowly showing signs of a heartbeat getting back. I went and saw Eddie Perfect a couple of weeks ago do a live show outdoors at the Mold house in Melbourne. It was just lovely to be in a live performance experience again. And I just remembered how much I missed it. But so I can't imagine how hard it's been for performers, artists, all the people who work behind the scenes, the back end stuff, to see their work. And uh, their passion uh, be denied them because of this pandemic, which has just basically called a halt to all their work.
0: Mm, it's been tough, um, and so yeah. Please welcome Maeve Marsden, who is a producer, curator, troublemaker, artist extraordinaire. Maeve, what do you like me to call you in public?
2: I'm never good at coming up with something short. I do. I say writer, producer, director, performer, which is a lot of things.
0: That's really good. <laughs> On that one. I'm just thinking about the umbrellas that, yeah, I think that gets it. Yeah.
1: You're a triple, quadruple threat, I think they say, in the biz, don't they? Well, tell people about some of the work sure. that you've done in the last couple of years, Mave.
2: Yeah, so look, I mean, part of the reason I do all four of those things is that the Australian industry is relatively small, and if you do a lot of different things, you can make it a full time job. But it's also because I have lots of different interests, and so as producers, tell tal- us, thanks, Val. I'll um, are very supportive. Um, I produce a storytelling night called Queer Stories that's been running for about five years and has a podcast attached to it, which is an LGBTQI plus storytelling project. I write theatre, so I've just finished a play. I'm waiting to find out if that's going to get programmed. I direct theatre and cabaret, and I've toured a lot with sort of small-scale cabaret theatre productions. Prior to COVID, I was touring internationally each year with those shows as well as around Australia. And then I get asked to, as Sally said, curate stuff. So events or many talks of ideas festivals I've done. So I think that kind of sums up the different work I do across those jobs. But yeah, it's annoying. I've never come up with a real catch-all that quickly tells people what I do.
1: So give us the temperature of the arts industry at the moment as we go into the second year of living with COVID and, you know, the promising signs of vaccines and having some sense here in Australia, at least we've got the virus under control for now. Is there signs of life?
2: I mean, I think that's a complicated answer. Yes, there are. I'm in Sydney and we've been lucky enough to be able to be putting shows on since sort of late last year. and there was a sort of lull around July August where we were all quite tentative was, even though it wasn't a lockdown like we had in Melbourne a lot of us were quite cautious but now shows you know I'm going to an opening night tonight and I've seen quite a bit of theater in the last few months the things that are kind of still super risky and especially I operate as an independent artist so when I put on a show 80% of the time I'm taking the risk
0: By so I'm not booking risk, you mean
2: yeah so I often produce my own work and I think What's been really hard, and I'll speak to now in a minute, but you kind of need to know the context of last year as well, is what's hard is people talked about the arts as if we were this homogenous group, but a huge part of the problem was that there are so many different business structures for how we run our work. So theatre companies a lot are opening up again now and they've got risk, but some kind of maybe government support or a really strong subscriber base that they know will come back. But for a lot of us who are independent artists, the choice to take risks, even on a local show, having experienced what we did last year where we lost, in many cases, thousands of dollars and hours of work is really hard. So personally, I'm putting on shows in Sydney again, and I'm taking the risk to go interstate when a festival or venue is taking the risk with me. So where I just went to Brisbane to do Queer Stories, that's my first interstate trip. But that venue, which was wonderful, Brisbane Powerhouse, they paid for my flights and accommodation. So I knew if it was cancelled, I'd, I'd lose work, but I wouldn't lose hard cash, if you will. And I know a lot of people who've just booked seasons at Adelaide Fringe Festival or Perth Fringe Festival and had them cancelled and lost lots of money. So that touring that independent artists rely on in Australia and rely on because our cities are a bit smaller, so you're not necessarily making a full-time living in one place. You've really got to get around to make it a year-round job. That touring is not back, even if theatres are reopening. Um, so that's really tough. But we're in this in-between zone where people are like, oh, you must be able to get back to work. But all the theatres are also at 75% capacity in New South Wales. So that's 75% of the income and the costs aren't less. I can't pay all my performers 75% of what I used to pay them. Mm. So I'm ultimately paying myself less. So it's tough. It's, it's open and that's exciting and it's really nice to be with audiences again. But the actual circumstance of what it's like putting on theatre at the moment is still really hard.
0: And obviously the cost and the impact on artists like yourself and sort of artist businesses like yours is huge. I think what we don't talk about as much as we should as a community is the cost of that To our communities, like the impact being felt by people, the arts isn't just the ballet that you might be lucky enough to go to once a year, once every five years, or you have no interest in it or whatever. The arts are all around us and it's what I think sort of stitches our communities together and shapes and tells our stories, the stories that we tell each other. And so I wondered if you had any reflections on how the the pandemic has affected those communities and, and perhaps how they're reconnecting looking forward. I mean, it's quite interesting. I had a huge
2: fear that when we started to put shows back on, people wouldn't come. They'd either go, oh, you've been live streaming them now, I can stay home. Or they'd be too pressed financially because it's not just the arts who've been hit. But actually, the couple of shows that I have put on have sold more tickets than we were before the pandemic. So the eagerness to come back and be in art spaces is really, really strong, which is really heartening, because sometimes as an artist you can feel, i just a bit self-indulgent, do they really want me? But um, it seems that people really, really do want those spaces. And I mean, yeah, a lot of the work I do is queer work. And so for queer community, our arts events are a double whammy of something inspiring and a chance to see stories like ours, which are not always on the main stages or on screen, but also a place to meet people and a place to connect to community. And I know for those audiences, the loss of queer events and arts events has been massive, massively felt. But broadly speaking, yeah, you're right. It's a way of community to come together, a way for us, the arts are a way for us to reflect on who we are. And a lot of the work that I like going to and making is quite political. So it talks about the present moment and not having that ability last year. I go to a lot of, as an audience member, I found it incredibly hard not to be able to go
1: from my regular
2: shows. So, yeah, it was a real loss and it was really tough that that industry wasn't recognised by the government in some of the
1: funding options. We spoke with Sean Richards, uh, who is a tour manager for the band Midnight Oil Ooh. and Cold Chisel and uh, other big Australian Ooh. touring acts earlier on the podcast about the experience in the music industry and how a lot of his contemporaries, a lot of his colleagues really suffered both emotionally, financially and physically as a consequence of losing their work and, and losing the ritual of work and the connection that comes with it. How's it been for people in the performing arts area?
2: I listened to that episode and I really connected with a lot of the things he said. I think that as someone who performs as well, what he said about that performer not getting their audience, I did some self-reflection around that and what it's like to not have people applauding you every few minutes.
0: Do you make Nikki, your partner, stand and applaud you every night before before (laughs) Can you imagine? I, um, I can no. imagine, me. I
1: can imagine that. <laughs> Take a bow before bedtime.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or after, eh? Um, <laughs> not appropriate. No, I didn't, but she did have to engage with a lot of my sort of decision-making about work in a particular way. Theatre's really collaborative. I mean, in a similar way to the music industry, but also a lot of what I missed was rehearsal rooms and not necessarily audiences. It was being able to toss ideas around with other theatre makers and process those decisions. I'm a sole trader, I'm a solo operator, but I'm always in a team. And last year I was working on some projects, I was writing, and I didn't have the people I bounce ideas off next to me. And so Nikki got a lot of that, my partner, and luckily she's also creative, so she still had work. She's a film editor. So she was good to bounce the ideas off. She was not like, I don't know what you're talking about. She was really great. But it was, it was a pressure on our relationship that, someone who's really social and collaborative, suddenly had no work and she had a lot of work because the shift in her workplace meant that the pressure on her was really strong. So I think like a lot of people, any couples last year who were dealing with changes in their work really had to be Conscious of each other and gentle with each other. Yeah,
0: especially both being at home all the time. So, full disclosure, Maeve and I know each other very well and are quite fond of each other, I'd say. And you are really skilled at sort of being really honest and really candid with me and everybody in your life about ideas and anything else. But what do you think about this idea? I've been feeling that. As we sort of approach, well, I mean, we've passed the 12-month mark since the virus has been in Australia, and particularly here in Melbourne, I know this is not over, but here in Melbourne, we lost 800 Victorians to this virus, and, you know, that death toll is massive across Australia, and there's all sorts of losses in waves from this virus and this lockdown, and I kind of feel like it hasn't been memorialised or sort of reflected back at us, and I know during the first lockdown there were some sort of creative projects that were filmed, you know, like a Zoom meeting, sort of trying to play on what we were all going through at home. But I feel almost desperate for some public art or some community yeah. art or anything that can sort of capture that loss and that experience. And I want you to tell me that it's not a crazy idea, but I also wondered whether you've seen that sort of thing emerging in art so far or do, or do you think that that is something that artists will likely pick up as um, you know a way a way of healing our communities
2: I mean of course it's not a crazy idea I think it's a really lovely idea and I think that in little ways people have marked moments whether it's writing a piece about loss or writing um, I think a lot of writing that's impossible because writing is something you can do alone at home for me personally as an artist, I don't feel ready to write about it and I think it's because it feels like it's not finished. Mm. I think we're all on edge and waiting for another wave or waiting to understand when international borders are going to open or we've got family in countries where it's still so present. And for me, I often look at experiences I'm having and I think, am I ready to write about that? Amazing things can be written in a moment, so I'm only speaking to the way my creative practice works. But I kind of want to be able to use a bit of hindsight if I'm if I'm doing something like that. And I think with a memorial, like a, a concert or something like that, there'd be a real nervousness that you schedule it and then another wave would happen and you mm. sort of go, oh God, what are we doing? And so I think that might be part of it. And Australia in particular, we're in this weird position of constantly having to like check our pandemic privilege where we're like, it was terrible in Melbourne. But look at America or look at England and we're in this weird space going, mental health impacts have been bad, the economic impacts have been bad, we lost a lot of lives but we're always having to go, oh, we're so lucky, oh, we're so lucky and I think that leaves us in a strange position where we don't know how to mark what's happened and we don't know quite how to talk about it sometimes, even not everyone seems to be talking about it all the time. I think creatively that's hard to know exactly what note to hit. hear, You're so I, I, right. personally.
0: And also I wonder as you were speaking, I thought, oh, God, maybe this is also coming from a bit of wishful thinking from me, being like, Mm. we can mark the end of this now, right? Like we can just tie a ribbon around this and... Say goodbye, but
1: not right. quite yet. Yeah. What about the the community itself and and getting organised to look after one another? I know that uh, you know the theatre community, is, for instance, is pretty tight. Usually in cities, a fairly small cohort of people who all know each other and work together. And when the bottom fell out from underneath the uh, the theatre industry and from the performing arts industry, was there a sort of natural, organic coalescence around that to actually look out for each other and set up networks to check in on each other and support one another through that? How did that play out?
2: Yeah, look, people were and people were connecting. And I can only speak personally that I had a kind of strange reaction at the start of everything, which is still kind of weird for me to know quite how to talk about, which was that I really retreated from everyone, from work and from friendships. I didn't want to do Zoom stuff. I didn't want to live stream my shows. I'd had a really tough couple of years professionally and personally before it happened. And it's quite strange, like in lots of ways, 2020 for me was exactly what I needed because I'd been working incredibly hard in some really Difficult circumstances, and so having all my work cancelled, so that I had to just work on my physical and mental health for a little while, was oddly good. That sounds terrible. So I actually didn't connect with a lot of those things at first because I really just needed some space. And then as the year progressed, I started to, and it was really lovely. So after about six months, I started to connect with individual artists and and kind of see what was happening. And what was really heartening for me wasn't necessarily those individual networks or though they were happening but it was seeing theatre companies and festivals start to adapt their models and their ways of thinking we've had a sort of system for a long time where independent artists kind of participate in fringe festivals and put their work forward and take on so much risk themselves and often with very little mental health or financial support and I started to see people who still had jobs and things like Sydney Fringe Festival um, or other festivals interstate going oh god what can we do and they were you know working so hard trying to get funding so that if we wanted to put on work with them streamed or otherwise there was less risk to us and they were putting on you know workshops and sessions and that for me was really heartening and I think that's going to carry through some of that shift of going actually the artists who make the work that makes our living and that keeps this going have for a long time been taking the risk the industry wasn't fine until COVID like there was huge problems in terms of how it was all being managed. What I found most supportive was seeing a reckoning around that and seeing people work that out. And now as I start to do work again, I'm noticing that the venues and theatre companies I'm talking to are really trying to be supportive and really trying to go, well, how can we make your work easier and how can we make your risk less? And how do we support you to write all these COVID plans you suddenly have to write? Because I'm really interested in what's happening now and all the adapting we're still having to do. So that's the support that I've found heartening rather than the individual network.
0: And also just on that perhaps our listeners will recall that at the beginning of the lockdown and when it became apparent that so many artists were being pushed out of the JobKeeper safety net there were huge community fundraisers which I thought was really heartening but there's also any sort of private fundraiser, I always feel a little bit like, God, Like it shouldn't be on us. Artists should be included in the safety net that we all contribute to.
2: Mm. The fundraiser just was kind of interesting to watch because, you know, Support Act and the, and there are other organisations that were there for crew, but I really felt for all the people who had lost jobs in the arts but weren't artists with a public profile. Like, I saw my Patreon get extra support, but that's because people know my work. But There's so many people in the arts who can't go to their audience and say, hey, donate to my thing, and they, they weren't in a position to, to do SWIFT fundraising like that the way, you know, performing artists are. So I really felt for the whole ecosystem and, and luckily
1: organisations have sprung up to support those kind of back-of-house people as well. What's your next production, Maeve?
2: Oh, I'm directing a show later in the year in Sydney, but it hasn't been announced. But that's what I'm really
1: well. That's what hard you hear on, on you hear on on the job to make it. Now I'm just <laughs> <laughs> so you got something in the pipeline yeah, ready exactly to go. That.
2: Yeah, look, I, I took a bit of time next year to really pitch. Last year to really pitch other work. So I'm directing a musical for a theatre company in Sydney. That's exciting. And I'm starting to do queer stories events again around the country, which is lovely.
1: Before we let you go, we're going to workshop the idea we started with, Maeve. So question time. Okay, maybe we can't do anything of that. Senate Estimates, maybe not a musical, but we could have an awards ceremony. And I've come up with a name. Mm -hmm. We call it Bestimates.
0: Yeah, Senate Bestimates.
1: Senate Bestimates. And we work out a way to turn it into a television event to hand out the best award for Grilling of the year.
0: Best interrogation. You could have like best uh, sarcastic quip, most explosive argument, like Bridget McKenzie and Janet Rice two weeks ago. Oh my God. (laughs) What do you think, mate? Can we get, um,
2: I reckon it sounds like a great idea, but I think we should get some actors and comedians some work and have them recreate
1: Senate estimates. We're on to something. I think that would
2: be more entertaining. Because I find award shows deathly boring. But if we were actually <laughs> getting a kind of live sketch situation happening with all the comedians and actors who've lost work, mm-hmm. then we're really talking. We I'm thinking Anne,
0: Anne Edmonds as Senator Bridget McKenzie. She'd nail it. <laughs> Nina Oyama as Kenny Wong. Oh, gosh.
1: <laughs> we get our mate Doug Cameron back for a, for oh, a yeah. walk-on cameo. <laughs>
0: Hey, Maeve, thank you so much for joining us. And uh, everybody listening who loves Maeve as much as I do, do check out her website, Uh You can find her on social media where all her upcoming gigs and projects will be for you to buy some tickets and bring your friends to.
1: See you, Maeve. Thanks for having me. Maeve Marsden with us here on the job. Uh, Sally, thank you again. Uh, and we will do on the job next week. And remind people at Sally Rugg on your socials. You'll find yep, Sally there me. tweeting away and posting. And uh, don't forget to give us a rating on iTunes or whatever podcast platform that you are using so that we go up the charts and people discover us. We really appreciate that. And uh, you can also uh, you know, get on the Facebook page, just search on the job and send us a message there if you want. And we'll catch you next week. Bye.